Bart Brammer is an independent IT trainer and road warrior. We'll talk about what that means later on in the show. Bart is based out of Tennessee in the United States. So we speak to Bart today and find out why he does what he does and what he has to say about working as a trainer on behalf of some wonderful training businesses. This is episode three of the Training Business Podcast. Thanks for stopping by. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hey, and welcome to the show. My name is Mark Garrett Hayes, and this is the podcast for you for training business professionals and owners all around the world. And the goal of the show every Thursday is very simple. It's to help you to start to grow and to scale your training business. Today, as I mentioned before the music, we're talking to Bart Bremer about his training story and why he's happy to work with other people's clients rather than working with his own. Let's dive in. Hey, Bart. Uh, thanks for coming on the program. Good morning, Mark. So good morning to you. Um, I'm currently in the UK and you're in Tennessee. Is that right? Nashville, Tennessee. Wonderful middle Tennessee music city, as a matter of fact. I've not been there. Oh, I'm sorry. It's quite a, a great place to visit. Make, make sure you give yourself at least three days. You can't just stop by. And uh, people from out of the country and out of the state, they get Tennessee confused. They think they're going to see Ma Nashville and same day. It's not going to happen. How come? Is it just there's just too much to see? They're 200 miles apart. Okay. <laughs> okay. That would explain things. All right. So if we, if we get back to the basics here, what, what got you into the training business in the first place? Well, I actually started out training. I wound up being a training NCO in the military, and that was, that was assigned to me, actually, by a, a higher sergeant. I was a private at the time, and he said, you're going to teach people how to do this. And then I led away from it for many, many years. I went into manufacturing, and I wound up with a manufacturing firm, Saturn Corporation, part of uh, General Motors in Spring Hill, Tennessee. They were building a factory and not building cars yet, and I was a machinist, a CNC operator. I didn't have anything to do, and during one of the classes I was attending about hazardous communication that was waste and the things that can harm you in the, in the workplace, I made the comment to the trainer that uh, he certainly could lighten it up a little bit and make it more refreshing, and he got very upset with me, threw the book at me, and said, you teach it. And I went back and saw one of the training people and decided that I would just try that. And did you go through any process to acquire formal uh, training accreditation or training certification? I did. Eventually with General Motors, they had a pro trainer certificate program. And, and there are certificates, there are training degrees, there are training certificates you can pick up online and from local community colleges as well as, as the universities. But in the beginning, I did not. I simply was training the trainer. It's called the T3 process for the folks that are starting out. You attend the class, you go through it, you teach it with an instructor, and then you become certified by the certified instructor to deliver that particular class. That's what I was doing with General Motors Saturn Corporation. And can you give me an idea, uh, particularly for listeners who aren't familiar with T3, T3 or TTTs, I sometimes call it train the trainer. What does it actually comprise? 
Uh, depending on the, the course content, and first of all, you need to know the content of the course. I started out with safety courses, which was really quite uh, easy because to get the content, if you're teaching how to drive a forklift, you pull the lever back and the lift goes up. You push the lever forward, the lift goes down. So those are easier to get the content on. You make sure you understand it. You make sure that you can deliver to the trainer. Then you go through the class. You get to co-teach the class with a certified instructor. You get their tips. They do a review, typically on a piece of paper. And until they're happy with you, you keep teaching the class. If you screw it up, they have you do it again. They have you do the portion over. Of course, they're always there to step in to make sure that the students still learn. If there's a mistake, they correct you gently, and you straighten it out the next time you deliver it. And then once they cut you loose, you start delivering the course on your own. Yeah, I'm thinking of the, the experience I had. I used to work for Disney in Florida. So the very first train the trainer uh, or T3 qualification I did was Walt Disney train the trainer many, many years ago. But I've been through several versions of that since. Um, one in Ireland called uh, FITAC Level 6 and then um, something called, um, thinking my, right now it's TAP, that's right, TAP. Uh, training accredited professional. Um, are you familiar with ATD in the US? I am not, as a matter of fact. I think that's the Association for Training and Development. I'm uh, just curious because I think that's the US equivalent of that. So in your experience, do you think it's something that someone ought to have before they become a training professional, some kind of training accreditation or T3 program experience? Oh, absolutely. The The best the best training you can have is actually this experience of delivering the training. Uh, you learn twice because you're getting all the, all the questions from the students that you hadn't thought of. You have to come up with the answers before you teach it again. <clears throat> so I believe that somebody certifying you and say you are accredited and to have it on paper saying, yes, this is, this person has gone through the, uh, the process. Once again, deliver, delivering the skills necessary if they're soft skills, if they're behavioral skills, it gets a little more difficult to deal with than the, the nuts and bolts. And as you think it's, is it this business something that people can walk into? Uh, do you think that someone needs to have particular industry experience before they can become a trainer? Or do you think it's more important to know how to train and then acquire the knowledge to teach in that particular uh, sector? Does that make sense? Yes, it did. Uh, I don't believe people are born trainers. You can you can develop into a trainer, and and I certainly stumbled upon it and found out that I actually love it, and I and I enjoy the the people being able to do something when they leave the class that they couldn't do before they came in, and it's about the attitude. Not everybody can be a trainer. Some people are very strict. Some people are very um, motherly or bossy, and. You have to get to the, the adult education. I don't know about teaching children, but the adults, dealing with adults and teaching adults, you have to be at their level. You have to start with what they know, where they already are. You can't bombard them with things that they already know or they'll shun you. And you also can't talk over their head, skip steps that they don't know about because they'll shut you down and say, well, that was pretty worthless. So it's knowing your audience understanding that it's about the learner. It's not about you yourself. Many of us made the mistake of being in the spotlight and we're not rock stars. We're trainers. We're delivering a skill and ability 
to the learner. And we have to keep that in mind. Yeah, that's a great point. That definitely, in my experience, rings true. Um, I've been in environments where people are looking at me blankly and I assume they know something that I'm talking about. Uh, and other times I go in with a particular program only to find out that this is stuff they know. And in both instances, the outcomes are quite different. Exactly. In both, both, both times you failed. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. Um, so which skills or qualifications are hot right now? The IT world, if, if, you're, if you're into the uh, uh, internet experience or dealing interactive, what is happening is the, the whole world is going lean. You've, turned, you've heard about lean manufacturing and just-in-time concepts and Kaizen and all of these things have been around in the auto industry for years. Now they're in the medical field. Now they're in the uh, food service field. They're in the restaurant business. So what we're doing is we're starting to see through processes being driven by programs that somebody else writes. I'm not a programmer. I can't write code. I can't write a program. What I can do is I can teach an adult learner how to make the program operate so that they can use it in their job. So on that topic, are there particular areas that you focus on as a trainer? You mean as in IT or as in as in uh, what? Yeah, what are you specifically you, an IT field? trainer or soft skills or both? The, the the soft skills are interwoven when you're when you're dealing with the IT. You're talking about pushing the buttons, and it may be teaching a brand new person how to use a new cash register system that also does inventory, that also does ordering, that you have to track and and make sure that the end result is still correct. It's not just ringing up the a $5 product anymore. It's coded. So it goes to where is it coming from? Where are we ordering from? Who is the end user? What's the warranty on it? And this is all tracked typically with a computer system. You need to know how to access each point of view in the retail world. In the medical world, it's the same thing. Is, is this inpatient coming in? Do they have insurance? Are they going to see a specialist? Are they going to see a doctor? Are they going to outpatient service? Are they being admitted? What kind of diets do they have? And all of these computer systems are interwoven. So you learn to operate them so it talks to all aspects of the business. Does that make sense? It does, yeah, absolutely. Just before we came on the call there and began recording, um, I broached the subject of training business, uh, specifically where you get your clients from. Um, and just for the benefit of our listeners, um, I, I, I thought I'd repeat the question. Do you have your own direct clients or do you prefer to work with training vendors or training companies? That's a great question, Mark. And when I first left the business, when I left the General Motors world and took a, an early retirement when Saturn shut down, I decided to open my own training business. And what I found out is when I was beating the bushes and looking for my own clients, I wasn't making any money. And when I found a client, if I got them to pay the outrageous fees that I was uh, demanding, they would pay me those fees and I'm not beating the bushes and I'm not getting more clients. So I was pretty much spinning my wheels. I thought, well, there's got to be an easier way. I ran across a, a training vendor and back at that time, it's the training associates. They're still very big in this country and they still deliver a lot of training but they decided, they started getting my clients for me and they were setting up and the contracts and everything is worked out in advance. 
but you do your own uh, flight scheduling, you do your own travel scheduling, you have a lot of say so, but the product is given to you that you're gonna deliver, you learn the product, you have an end client, and you're working for a third party company. That could be as a, a, a 1099, like you pay your own taxes and do it yourself, or it could be a W-2 situation, depending on which client you run into. I found that much easier to have the vendor call me and say, hey, I have this opportunity. Do you know anything about it? Can you learn? Can you show up? Here's the schedule. Here's what we expect. Here's what it pays. And you say yes or no, and you go through an interview process. Right. So how does that relationship work um, specifically with, in this case, the training associates? Now, you don't have to mention anything that, uh, you know, is private or confidential to your arrangement with them. But I think there are people listening who perhaps are not familiar with the concept of uh, working with the training vendor. In other words, a company that literally finds the work for you and then brings you in to deliver on that. Good. Thanks, Mark. What what happens is what you do is you go through their, their training portal and you go through their interview process. They do the background check. They do the uh, security check if you need a security clearance. They help you go through the particulars and that's all on their dime. Once they hire you, they train you and that's generally at a, at a half rate or a lower rate than what you're going to be paid when you start delivering on your own. And you mentioned that I, I, I shouldn't uh, talk about any particulars. Well, that's exactly right. I actually cannot. The contract I signed say that it's between them and the client and the conditions that we agreed to are the conditions until the end date of that contract. So you set up the time frames, you set up the dress code, you set up the um, operating parameters as what's, what's expected of you, what's expected of the client, and then you meet all that criteria and you get a check at the specified time that they give. You know, that could be that could be weekly, that could be monthly. That's set up in the contract by, in this case, the training associates and the vendor. You're assigned a project manager. There's a project manager inside the training associates yourself that is your number one contact that does all the negotiating with the client. If there's an issue, they handle it with the client. So you're working for the training associates, serving a client, teaching them a process or a skill or an, uh, an end-user program. You mentioned training associates, Bart. Um, I take it that's one of many training vendors do you work with, uh, or are you exclusive to training associates? Oh, I am not, and, and nor do you have to be. What you do is, is I commit to the training associates in, in the given timeline saying, okay, well, you know, on this particular day or this particular week, I cannot be available. And that's built into the contract because I'm working for somebody else. There's several vendors out there. You can Google uh, training vendors. You can, they, they have different setups, different rules and regulations. But what happens is you learn the network, the, the training associates, I've been with them since 2006. I've had multiple project managers and most of my business comes from somebody I worked with before. A new project manager will call a, a person, the training associates, and, and they'll say, oh, do you need anybody else? And since I've worked with them before, they know my ability, they know we get along, we did a good job together. They'll call me up and say, hey, Bart, there's a new contract. Call Pat or call Arnold and tell him you're available. 
So that's that works. Word of mouth is has been my biggest uh, source of income and biggest source of new opportunities. So how do you decide? How do you decide which training companies or training vendors are the right ones for you? I've worked with um, I've worked with multiple companies, and and what it what it amounts to is who does the best job in in my opinion what a, what I'm allowed to do. It, it could be set up uh, so that everything you do is delegated to you, or it could be more independent where you have a little more say-so about what's going on with your life and how you get paid. So it depends on how disciplined that you want it to be. It also depends on how far away from home you want to go and how much do you want to work. You can turn into a road warrior and be gone 12 months, you know, your Sunday night flying out, flying home Friday night, 52 weeks. So there are those opportunities that can make you a good deal of, of money, but you have no life. Yeah, that's a, that's a trade-off. I find that too. I was mentioning to you before uh, we came on the call here that um, I've just come back from training in Austin. And so that took me, oof, ten, I think, ten, a total of 10 days away from home. And that's a trade-off. You you obviously make money as a training associate, as a, a freelance trainer, but the exchange is you forego perhaps time with family and friends. And that's some sometimes for people, it's it's too much to ask. It really is a decision to make. I think as a training professional, how much of your work do you want to have locally? Uh, how much work do you want to do internationally? And sometimes. Again, you may find that um, if you work internationally, you have exposure to clients and, and practices that you simply would not uh, learn unless you were willing to do that kind of work in the first place. Right, Mark. And it's, it depends on the individual. Some, some individuals simply want to do webinars, and you can do training from your house. Like, like we're talking now, I could be talking with a group of people and delivering a program to them for pay you know, in my blue jeans from my house. And that's a nice thing. Or I could be traveling to Austin like you did and freezing my butt off. (laughs) Maybe, maybe making a little more money, but I'm not anywhere near the television set and living on the road for the people that have never done it is quite different than what you envision. The, the folks that, that uh, I am a road warrior. So the folks that, know what I do for a living, really think I'm on vacation all the time. It doesn't quite, doesn't quite turn out that way. You learn a lot of things living on the road that makes sense to you that you had to pick up by making a lot of mistakes. I do webinars. I do uh, one-on-ones. I do local training. I like to travel. I very much like to drive. The airports can get to be a hassle. The rental cars can get to be a hassle. There, there are things that you trade off, like you said once before, Mark. You trade it off and say, okay, what is the dollar worth to me the way I'm living my life? Yeah, it, it, it comes down to, it isn't an ordinary job, shall we say. Uh, training, um, particularly training with multiple clients, sometimes does involve you uh, being willing to travel to a different city or to a different country. In your experience, how much of the work that you've done, let's say in the last 10 years, has required you to you know, pack a bag and, and, and jump on a plane or a car? Uh, probably 80% of it, Mark. It's uh, par- partly because I enjoy it and I like it and I like visiting different cities and different places. Uh, the other part is what, what I've found that my uh, vendors are looking for is somebody that can do 
I may show up in an office and, and teach one person, or I may show up in an office and teach 20 people, and it's the same content level. So the versatility has to be there. The flexibility has to be there. And the adaptability to change the conditions to meet what the client needs. And, and what I've found is that's typically showing up the night before, delivering the day, staying, evaluating, cleaning up the day after, and then heading to the next assignment, which hopefully is the next day. If I can spend three or four days on the road and be home every weekend, I'm very happy. Mm-hmm. Okay. In terms of um, the audition process, so both you and I as training professionals have been, and you and I both continue to work with training companies or vendors as associates for them. What, in your experience, is the typical audition process like? So someone listening to this podcast might think, well, that sounds attractive to me. What, what uh, Bart and Mark have described so far sounds like something I'd like to do. What is the audition process for someone to be accepted as an associate, to be put on the books effectively as a training provider? That's a great question, Mark, because you, you walk into it very blind and very cold and very green. You have no credibility. So the company that's hired you and the company that's putting out their money is watching you very, very closely. Any mistakes you made are going to be uh, exemplified, multiplied. You, know, you, you have nothing to fall back on This is that you've done a great job and it's, it was a simple error and you're going to fix it. So some trainers have flopped the first time out because they've said something wrong to the client. Some trainers have said something wrong in the lunchroom and have been fired for, for having the story get back to the client. So there's, there's a credibility factor. You have to earn your wings. So once you've been given the green light, the evaluations come in. Typically, there's evaluation done by the class. Many times there's a, a secret shopper, if you will, that shows up in your big training projects. Somebody will show up as a student and evaluate everything you've done for the company that's hired you to make sure that you're credible because their name's on the line too. Once you build your credibility, that word gets around. It's much easier not to audition. But in the beginning, you're doing tapes, you're doing uh, presentations, you're doing uh, teachbacks is what they typically call them. So you'll go through a session and they'll say, okay, now teach that to me. And if you do it wrong, they'll say, okay, teach it to me tomorrow. And if you do it wrong again, you may be out on your butt looking for something else to do. So it's picking up what needs to be done, not necessarily what you want to do. And you have lots of experience, obviously. Uh, how do you, if you can recall, what would you say is a good way or a, a really productive way to, to market yourself as someone who wants to work with training companies. Now you refer to word of mouth, but going b- before that, how do you actually start marketing yourself if you want to enter this business? To pick a, uh, a subject matter that you're very good at it. Like it could be, it could be, uh, it could be computers. It could be telephones. It could be fire safety. It could be hazardous communication it could be truck driving. If you want to be a trainer, you have to be very capable of doing what it is that you're teaching. So the more difficult the subject is that you're teaching, the better you have to be at what you're doing. So I had a difficult time early on. I was teaching a listening and assertion course 
and that's listening to people and being assertive, not aggressive and cocky. And I certainly had to change my ways to model what it was I was teaching. That was probably one of my largest learning experiences is I need the credibility to stand in front of a group and say, I know how to do this, so let me teach you. So many times folks are saying, what can you teach me? I've been doing this for 20 years. So you have to get their credibility. You have to get them on your level. They have to be your partners in the learning process. It's not a, I'm the teacher, you're the student, do what I say. It doesn't work like that. In the beginning, if you can partner up with somebody that's already in the business, somebody that knows the ropes, that you can co-teach with, that you can partner with, and many times you can do that with the training organization. The vendors will put you with a seasoned veteran. Now, keep in mind that seasoned veteran is also going to report back to whoever you're working for on your progress, on your ability. So that's, that can be good or bad. Which one piece of advice would you give yourself if you had to start over again, go from scratch, entering the training business? Probably learning more about um, teaching adults, of adult behavior, dealing with challenging learners, dealing with difficult people, uh, presentation skills, putting, putting yourself in front of people. The showmanship has to be there. The playfulness has to be there. It has to. You've you've been to you've been to a lot of conferences with a lot of people, and you and you walk away saying that was fun. I learned a lot. And very seldom do you say, well, you, you know, that was that guy was a a stuffed shirt. I hope I never see him again. So the part of it is is the simply the attitude that this is fun. I enjoy doing it. I'm glad to be with you folks. I want you to learn from me. I think that's probably more important than the subject because folks ask me nowadays, they say, well, what is it you teach? What is it you train? And I say, gosh, whatever I've got an instructor's manual for and I can be good at. <laughs> you, have to, you have to know more than the students do when you go in. And the, the secret is sharing information that they don't have that they're going to use and apply so an applied skill at the end of the class makes you a hero. Right. In other words, it's, the, it's what people can do or will be able to do as a result of spending time in the classroom with you. Exactly. It's the outcome, right? Exactly. And, and you've got the smile sheets. Everybody's filled them out. You know, did you like this? How was the food? How was the environment? Was it clean? And very seldom does it say, what can you do now that you couldn't do before? And so I've had the opportunity to rewrite a lot of evaluations where I can put those things in, where I can improve upon it to help the next learner. Yeah, that's a great point. I'm, I'm thinking of um, all the training companies I currently work with, and everyone has a different uh, evaluation sheet or happy sheet, as we call them, uh, or smile sheet. And it, it's funny how so much emphasis is, is given or placed on things like the food and the environment, etc. But it's a straightforward question, the one you've just asked. What can you do now that you couldn't do before you came into the room and spent uh, these days on the training course? And that's exactly what I put into the evaluation. So where can our listeners find out uh, more about you or contact you if they need to? Because uh, you are a training professional to the core. Well, thank you. Mark, I can be found on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is probably my uh, my biggest source of, of reaching out to other trainers, reaching out to other peoples and vendors. 
And that's also how I get more results. People reach out to me because they put in the word training, they put in the word leadership, they put in the word manufacturing. Your buzzwords that you put into your LinkedIn profile will bring people to you. But teaching, training, those are the, the, the key words that folks are going to hone in on. I'm Bart Brammer at LinkedIn, and I welcome all inquiries. I will get back with you. I typically see it within 48 hours. I will answer any requests. You'll find my contact information there, my phone number there. I can be called. Lots of times new trainers will call me and say, what do you think of this? I'll tell them what I think of it. Based on my 30 years of experience, I've done a lot of things wrong, and I'm not afraid to share that with folks so they don't make the same mistakes that I did. Absolutely. Uh, unless we're making mistakes, we're not really learning. And it's, it's, good to be, it's good to be honest about that. Yeah, absolutely. Bart, thanks so much for your time and for coming on the program today. It's been a pleasure, Mark. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Bart, for coming on the show today. And thanks to you, our listeners, for having you with us again this week. Thanks for your time in listening to this episode. And we'd like you to subscribe to the show so as not to miss out on future episodes, which come out every single Thursday. We'd also like you to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, which, as we've said before, helps us to promote the show and to attract the kinds of guests like Bart and others who want to share their tips and business secrets with you. You can check out the podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on Spotify, and of course, on our website, which is www.trainingbusiness.com. We look forward to your company again next Thursday. So until then, have a great week. Bye for now. Thanks once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Go to trainingbusiness.com and subscribe right now to be notified of great competitions, upcoming VIP episodes, and amazing special offers to help you succeed in your training business. See you next time.